Welcome to Toasted Lavender Podcast. I'm Kai, pronouns he, him, and I'm going to be hosting today's episode. I'm Lisa. My pronouns are she, her. I've been tapped on the shoulder to remind you that I am Lindsay and my pronouns are she, her. Sorry. Everything's okay. Doing things. My name's Alex and my pronouns are she and her. And uh, tonight, we would like to give a shout out to TF Brewing, Templin Family in Salt Lake City. We're all drinking the Haze Series Batch Number 4 Imperial IPA, and it's awesome. As with any beer from TF. Yeah, they never let me down. They're so good. It's I can't new- say that about everybody. Yeah, it's for in a sure. really pretty like turquoise can that looks like a mermaid's tail. And Speaking I'm wearing mermaid socks, merman socks. Yes, you are. We will post a picture in the show notes. Which, by the way, if you want to send us beer money, Patreon.com/slash Toasted Lavender Podcast. But I also just want to say that when you hear us talk about show notes. Those are available on Patreon and to Patreon subscribers. So we talk about it a lot. We say we'll put that in the show notes. If you've ever wondered where the hell are these show notes, that's where they are. I'd like to start out with a question for everybody. Um, Just when you think of pride, where did it begin? When did it start? It was one of the seven seven deadly sins. (laughs) Oh, I like this answer. Uh, they made a whole movie about all these sins. They, didn't they write a book? There's probably a book. <laughs> wow. Um, okay, how about gay pride specifically? Oh. <laughs> Interesting. LGBTQ pride. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Okay, I see where we're going That was here. good. <laughs> For me, I would say San Francisco 2013. Oh, because that was my first Pride. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair. Okay. Mm. I thought the first one was in the 70s. All right. I don't know. New York? Yeah. But, I mean, for me, like, personally, um, it was Salt Lake in the mid to late aughts. All right. I got some answers I wasn't expecting, and I like that. That's good. (laughs) Um, So you mentioned New York in the 70s. Um, A lot of people think of Stonewall when the black trans women threw a brick through the window in 1969 that Pride started there. That's kind of what... As a protest. Yeah, as a protest. However... Three years before Stonewall, there was the Compton's Cafe Riot. It happened on the opposite coast in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco on a summer night in August of 1966. So, you got close with your 2013 (laughs) San Francisco. Um, You did? (laughs) Just a few years off. At least the city was right. (laughs) That, never mind. (laughs) Um... 
it's the first known instance of militant queer resistance to police harassment in U.S. history. And the trans people, drag queens, and street kids were literally fighting for a right to gather. So we're gonna we're gonna go all the way through the backstory, and then at the Can end, we revisit the word militant. Yes, because I just imagined like some camouflage. Mm. <laughs> Oh. Parade <laughs> the black grease under their eyes. Yeah, that's football, Lisa. Oh. Oh. Well, I feel like if someone's it's like kind of the same something, they have that too. Many trans or queer people in general had started moving to San Francisco in the '60s because it was a place that what where they could surround themselves with similar individuals and find families amongst each other. Is often. this the Castro? I'm very glad you brought that up because no, it is not the Castro, and we're going to talk about that. If we were on a game show, you would have hit the button. The The red, the red button. (laughs) Yeah, you're wrong. And green slime falls down. (laughs) (laughs) If it was Nickelodeon, I would have gotten slimed. Uh, Yeah, slime, slime to you. So they, you know, they they were going there because they could find similar people and kind of build their own queer family structures after often being ousted from their own families. In the 60s, the Tenderloin District was a red light district and a place where people came for all kinds of entertainment, legal or not. Um, There were a lot of theaters, performance halls, a lot of sex work happening, um, and... Tenderloin... Do you remember when we stayed in San Francisco and we had to walk through the Tenderloin from the show that we went to? And it was like a big deal. Everybody was uh, making it a big deal, like walking through the Tenderloin at night. And it's I still... I think I do, yeah. yeah. Like it's and dangerous. It was, Any travel guide was, would tell you sketchy. not to go like, to the... We did it, there, and we survived. Isn't that where we found that sushi place? No, this was after the show... We were walking back to the hotel, and mm. there were just a lot of there's a lot of riffraff. I remember there were it a lot of people talking of to urine a lot. Yeah, there were a lot of people talking to themselves. Okay. There were a lot of people just hanging out on the sidewalk, and we'd have to walk past and sort of not make eye contact. So where is this in within the city? Do you know it's, geographical? It's, it, it is it's like, like downtown yes. San Francisco, like super yeah. downtown San Francisco. And it's in, what your guys' points that you're bringing up are interesting because really if you asked any travel guide or anybody that's helping you plan a trip there, they would be like, stay out of the Tenderloin District. But on the contrary, they have like organized and are really fighting against gentrification and it's one of the few neighborhoods that is in that area where is any affordability whatsoever for and yes it there are a lot yeah, of people I, experiencing homelessness there are a lot of there's still a lot of super queer people in that area just kind it's kind of like i don't know the reject area where people nobody bothered us though and that was the thing is like and that's how i just like that's how i feel about ogden (laughs) yeah (laughs) nobody bothers us ogden's so terrible why would you want to live there it's like the armpit of utah is how it's been referred to and i kind of felt that way when i walked through like everybody's telling us not to to be here after dark 
and we were there, and, like, yeah, there's some, like, there's obviously issues. There are people there that have issues, but, like, nobody bothered us. It wasn't like yeah. I felt like we were going to be robbed or something. Yeah, walking. no, yeah. just, like, people trying to get by, and, um, yeah. So that's my story about the tenderloin. And I've never been there, but after... After, like, doing the research for this episode, I'm like, I need to go there. Like, I want to go on a vacation to that place so I can take it all in. In the Tenderloin District, there were a bunch of residential hotels where all these performers and drag queens and trans women and, you know, street kids kind of took up housing. And again, it was because this was where they could afford to be. So... The Vietnam War was going strong. San Francisco had a huge influx of sh- of soldiers stationed there. Um, and then wartime is always a boom time for prostitution because of that. You know, there's a bunch of people away from home and here, stationed here. It's like the Super Bowl. Yeah. Police were cracking down on soldiers and sailors, especially at trans and drag clubs. Uh, the police were targeting trans sex workers and arresting them literally for any chance they could get. Some of the silly things I read about were like uh, some of these trans women being arrested for obstructing the sidewalk. So literally just like standing walking, there. Yeah, yeah, like being on the sidewalk. Um, they'd get arrested for female impersonation um, and... They would be asked to present ID all the time, and of course they didn't have an ID that matched their gender identity, so they were just like kind of stuck in this constant battle of discrimination that they couldn't get out of. Um, many, many of them relied on sex work to survive because they literally couldn't get other employment because of these barriers of not having identification cards and racism and just discrimination against them as transgender people in general. I found a map. So this is the Castro down there. Dolores Park. That's like the big gay hangout. The Tenderloin is up there. All right. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So... I'm glad you showed us that because we're going to talk about how shitty and gatekeepy the Castro is. <laughs> Let me guess. Are there a bunch of white gay men that white live there? gay men. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so other gay organizations like the Madashane Society and the Daughters of Belitis uh, that were kind of products of... The Lavender Scare, these two organizations, the Daughters of Belitis was kind of the lesbian organization and the Madashane Society was the gay man society and it, they were founded by people that were wrongfully terminated from government positions. Um, but by this time, we're, you know, we're in 1966, uh, these two organizations had some credibility uh they had started to make some a little bit of legal organization that was helping the gay causes 
But that being said, they were kind of taking the attitude that they should work together with the police and um, were looking down on the people in the Tenderloin District, kind of like how Gloria Steinem didn't want the lesbians to join the feminists. Like, it, it was a similar gatekeepy no. thing. Yeah. It was a similar gatekeepy thing of, like, well, we're established and fancy and middle class. And, and they're uppity, starting to get some clout. And, and we're starting to get some clout, and we don't want these dirty, seedy, icky weirdos to mm. take away from our movement. There's a phrase where it's, like, you climb the ladder, and then you pull it up behind you. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that sounds exactly like what yeah. was happening. Yeah. So there were fear-mongering TV news reports describing the Tenderloin District as a hotbed for homosexuals and transvestites who engage in the marketplace of vice, degradation, and human misery. Oh. <laughs> like... And then people are like, we should go there. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go have some fun. So Compton's, the cafe, was a 24-hour place that was super centrally located. It was right by the drugstore where you could go get your press-on eyelashes. And it was really close to these home hotel situations where a lot of them lived. And it was really close to... All these clubs where many were performing and it was close right to the heart of like where they were doing, you know, picking people up for sex work. So it was in a really good central location. Um, and trans women, drag queens and people experiencing homelessness would come hang out for hours and, you know, kind of order a 60 cent cup of coffee every three hours just you know like yeah. they would sit for a long time without spending much money and you know to catch up and hang out it was it was a neighborhood hangout for for these specific a warm place to be a warm yeah a warm place to be a well-lit place to be a safe place to be yeah kind of i guess yeah um tamara ching who is a san francisco activist was a regular at Compton's during the time, and her quote about it was, it was good to go and be seen and talk to people about what happened during their night to make sure everybody's okay, everyone made their coins, everyone's coming down off of drugs and didn't overdose, and that you didn't go to jail that night. Or be violently assaulted by someone. It's like the town that, square. Right. Yeah. It's like everyone's it's checking like this in. This is yeah. the check-in place for this community. Um, and then Vanguard is a queer organization, was a queer organization that described itself as an organization of, by, and for the kids on the street. Its goal was to offer self-worth and mutual support for its members so they would help each other with resources and they were quite organized, um... They spent a lot of time cleaning up the streets of San Francisco because they viewed that as their home. Like they they didn't have a roof to go sleep under. The streets were their home, and they wanted to keep 
that nice. So that was kind of like part of their thing is that they were cleaning up the streets. And the organization got involved with Compton's Cafe during the summer of 1966 when tensions began to rise between the Compton's staff management and the patrons. And the management started charging a service charge for each customer taking up a seat. And, you know, they justified that as we need to make up for our loss of income from these campers that are sitting here taking up real estate. Yeah, that's a hard position to be in. The problem was that they applied the charge in a discriminatory manner. They would single out... It wasn't everyone that came through the door. Yes. They would single out people that were non-conforming or that were especially wacky or whatever. Right. And then they also hired... The management of the restaurant hired security guards to harass the street kids, particularly the trans street kids. And more and more often, the management would call the police to intervene. Like, come rouse these people up and get them out of here. Mm. So Vanguard, this youth or, uh, youth street organization, organized a picket of the restaurant to protest the treatment of the patrons. And um, they organized with a bunch of ministers and some older members of some of these other gay organizations that had a little more clout, like tried to organize this picket, which was organized well, and they carried it out. And the management didn't give a fuck. They just didn't change anything. It just kind of fell upon deaf ears. They didn't care. Mm. Tensions were mounting. What they should have done is do, like, a pancake special from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. where you get, like, pancakes and coffee for $1.50 or whatever. Right. And then you'd sell a bunch of food. Right. In in an hour that you wouldn't normally sell any food in. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) So the incident itself started when the staff of Compton's became particularly annoyed with a table of queens who were being too loud and, again, spending a lot of time there without spending a lot of money. The staff called the police, and when the police arrived, um, a policeman grabbed a trans woman by the arm and started to, like, pick her up to just, you know, started manhandling her her and, like, pulling her out. She was fed up threw her hot, scalding coffee in his face. (laughs) So, you can imagine. So that's a felony. (laughs) (laughs) The place erupted. Tables were overturned. People were throwing tables and furniture, like, out the windows. Sugar shakers out the windows. Um... And I like that you said sugar shakers and not salt shakers. Well, it's a coffee, a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. And it's like those bigger, you know, the, the bigger I like ones those. that have the... Yeah. 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 Gotcha. And Much more destructive. Yeah, much bigger. Right. So the police retreated out of the cafe to call for backup. And then the crowd in the cafe, which was, it was busy night. It was like 50 or 60 people 
came out after the police, chased him out of the cafe, and this riot ensued in the streets. And before it was over, a police car was completely destroyed. A newsstand on the street was lit on fire and burned to the ground. And this establishment's windows and doors, all the glass just shattered. The police paddy wagoned many queens that night. (laughs) So, the aftermath of this event, it was not in vain. There were some really cool things that came out of it. Um, So, a network of social psych psychological and medical support services was established. And in 1968, that led to what was called the national transsexual counseling unit. And the, that was like the first known trans peer run support advocacy network ever. Like that's, that's been documented that we know of. Um, The National Transsexual Counseling Unit had some interesting police liaison work that they were doing, which was, I I found this cop named uh, Elliot Blackstone, who was in that role of, like, being, you know, kind of in between the police department and this community and worked with... Uh, gay organization leaders to establish kind of to put an end to like like cops going in and cruising for guys to come into the bathroom and like oh you're trying yep entrapment that's the word I'm looking for so that was like one of his big things he also this guy was he kind of seemed like a saint honestly like he he started like buying hormones for people that couldn't afford them for trans people that couldn't afford them. And he, he did a lot for the community. I'm sure. Yeah. He was a cop and he got, he ended up being fired from his cop position at some point for some, he was way too friendly. He was completely legitimate. Yeah, it wasn't at all. It They're wasn't like, you didn't do your paperwork right. Yeah. And again, this isn't about Elliot Blackstone, but he's very late. interesting, and I, I found that connection very interesting. Um, you should look him up if you're interested. Just a nice guy in a sea of asshole cops. It kind of seemed like it, yeah. He seemed like he was a, a good guy who was really trained to help people out and do the right thing. A public servant, if you will. Yeah, which... Imagine. What, yeah, imagine. <laughs> So the National Transsexual Counseling Unit also, they would help with ID cards. So you, you would have an identification. It wouldn't be like a official driver's license or whatever, but it would have an identification card for you that so that if you were stopped on the street, you could be like, oh, I'm a patient of the National Transsexual Counseling Unit and here's my ID, like... And that was supposed to be like a, that was supposed to, yeah, and it was supposed to be a protection, really. I'm sure in some circumstances it wasn't, depending on who the person was that 
Yeah, I'm interested to know like how much involvement they had with government to sort of say to people you can present this as ID. Like And I think that it was mostly a San Francisco based thing, but I but yes, the government, I mean the police department was involved in it. That's kinda what this liaison with okay. Elliot Blackstone was right. Was a part of. The National Transsexual Counseling Unit also like had some in my opinion, maybe some icky things because they kind of policed. They kind of were the sign off to say if you could or couldn't qualify for sex reassignment mm. or gender affirming surgeries. Mm. And they would kind of be like, oh, you're not this enough or you haven't been on. You know, just kind of gatekeepy again, which yeah, there's a similar organization now called WPATH, and same thing. Like it's set up from a good place, it seems. Just like a but national organization, WPATH. WPATH is yeah, yep. It's a yeah the it's standards of care basically. So if you're gonna be helping transgender people these are the standards of care that you should follow and it's kind of a rubric for they're the ones who state that you have to have a a psych eval before you can have gender affirming surgeries yeah they've put up they've put up the whole so are they like a private organization or are they like a government organization it's a world it's, oh. Yeah, the W stands for world, um, and it, so it's like a big... It's a global... It's a global thing, okay. and I think, yeah. That's kind of hard, because there are, like, cultural and social differences right. between mm-hmm. a lot of people, and it's hard to put everyone in one box before you can, like... Right. Well, and I, I think some of those things, maybe some of the things are really progressive in certain countries, yeah. and they're really limiting in other countries. Yeah. But the other thing about this is it's not, there's also an accreditation factor of it. Like when I cho- when I had my gender affirming surgery, I specifically wanted to go to a WPATH approved physician because they have to. They have some kind of training. They have, they have to meet certain. Right. So you don't, so in some countries, I'm sure that even though this is a global thing, you don't have to go through that. And I'm sure even in the U.S. you could find organizations that are outside of that that would be willing to do that. But so it's kind of a, you know, you it's not, it's not perfect either way. There's right. some good and there's some bad. And that's probably to be said of the National Transsexual Counseling Especially... Unit. At that time. At that time, yeah. especially. Yeah. And, and, and especially if you were like, you know, San Francisco was kind of a pocket of queer people, really. Like, the Castro was pretty cis and white and gay, and some of these other areas were not. But they were very queer, still. Well, and you're still sort of in the infancy of that whole... The whole movement. Well, the movement and the science and the psychology. Yeah, like, for sure. You're still very early. For sure. So, 
a couple of other things um, from the aftermath of these riots. Um, it kicked off the founding of the San Francisco Trans March, which is still going strong today and, you know, gives visibility and that's a good thing. And then in 2006, there was a plaque erected to commemorate the riots right there in front of where the Compton's Cafe was. It's not, it's now, <laughs> I've learned this today, that that building, the Compton's Cafe closed, I think, in 1976. And it's like some office for a private prison right now. Oh, so no. it's really, <laughs> so the, the, you know, the gays... The queers are trying to find a way to reclaim that building and have it maybe be a resource center for trans people or whatnot. Hmm. Um, or have it be a cafe that has a dollar fifty pancake special <laughs> in yes! San Francisco. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's part go. of the resource center. You get you get government you get funding pancakes so in the middle can, of the night. Yeah, so you can. Give pancakes Sometimes away for free. Sometimes you need a stack of pancakes in the if middle of the night. I I'm always just, need a stack. I'm being completely for real. If you're coming down off drugs and you just decided like to end your night doing sex work, and you're checking on all your friends to make sure that everyone's still alive and like not beaten up and healthy and fine, and you're sitting around for hours drinking coffee, you need a pancake. I want Absolutely. pancake right now. <laughs> <laughs> In 2017, the city of San Francisco recognized the Compton's Transgender Cultural District, which is a really big deal. It's the world's first legally recognized transgender district ever. Like an area? Wow. Yeah, an area that's like... The majority filled with is trans, trans people? Yeah. Yes, like, and, it, and it still to this day has a very heavily transgender population in that area like tenderloin tenderloin district okay interesting yep. mm -hmm. so obviously this riot led to some good things and it's hard to pick up it's really hard to pick apart the pieces of history and what all the mounting tensions were to lead to this and what led us to here but it's kind of fun to see some of the milestones of things that happened and I've heard this this cafe riot being referred to as like yeah, the beginning of the transgender uh revolution. Yeah, revolution. The transgender revolution. And um, you know, they haven't always been included in the gay rights movement. Sometimes there have been Oftentimes, there have been very far splits between the two groups. And, yeah. So, there is a documentary film about this riot called Screaming Queens. The link will be in our show notes. Um, it was directed by Susan Stryker. You can watch it. On YouTube, the link will be in our show notes. It's very much worth watching. Uh, you guys should watch it. It's not too long. And yeah, that's the Compton's Cafe Riots. So 
So do we know what happened to the cafe like immediately in the immediate future after this? So apparently they, the next day or very shortly after, after they had gotten the windows and things fixed, a crowd came back through because they stopped allowing trans. Like they, they got really discriminatory and like, Stopped allowing people in, and then all their glass and doors were broken again. Like, but I, I don't really know what they didn't want to accept the neighborhood. They didn't want to accept the neighborhood, and I think ultimately that probably <laughs> there was a lesson to be them. learned, and they rejected it. <laughs> yeah, they rejected it for sure. So, like I said, I think the cafe closed in '76, which was ten years later. Um, but I don't really know too much about it between those 10 years so i have a comment about susan striker let's go for it i kind of have a crush on susan striker <laughs> <laughs> i have a do. comment before susan striker okay. okay go for the before susan striker marsha p johnson goes on stage and like advocates for trans rights mm-hmm. that's what i just thought of when you were talking about the tenderloin in this new like um district, district. Mm-hmm. yeah and I was wondering what year that was, because it was really early, but she was, like, getting booed. Yeah, and, like, people were booing people her. People were, like, throwing shit and, like, just being really ridiculous. Well, and I don't have the timeline, but I know she was in, I know she was, like, a big part of the Stonewall yeah. thing and in New York, and that was in 69, so I would think it was sixty-nine around that seven. time. Yeah. What was what was the comment about Susan Straker? Listen, I know this this is going to go off the rails for a minute, but we just finished watching a show called Lady in the Dale. We've all seen it. It's on HBO. It's to give a little context for everyone. It's about this trans woman who. Lived in the 1970s 70s. is kind of when it took place. And um, and who also was kind of a grifter con artist. Con artist. Uh, and ran into a lot of issues legally. She came to fame as the... CEO, CEO of like, this, like just the, the boss, the boss of this car company, yeah, who was marketing a three wheeled car because gas at the time was like really expensive, wasn't it? There Sounds was like, like a gas sh- shortage. Dale, right now, I know. Uh, she was ahead of her time, and there was a guy that was a newscaster in California and his name was Dick Carlson. The news, news Oh my god, man. that fucking dickhead. Oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah, was yeah, the yeah. worst. He was the worst. Scott. The whole time in we're like this fucking yeah. guy. He's Tucker the, Carlson's fa- father. Father of Tucker ew, Carlson. Ew. Of ew. Fox and news. they're both just fuckers. And they're both just yes. the most transphobic. Com- yes. Like his like life purpose was like Outing he should be our yeah. boo. <laughs> He's the boo of the century. He's the, the boo. Well, of the century. Candace Owens is the boo of the century. Yeah, but 
he's, he's the boo bad of too. he's the boo of the twentieth century. He is the yuckiest yucky. He just had some sort of like issue with well, Liz. I think he, even he just said didn't believe he and his like friend thought that yeah. she was a he. They were yeah, out like to, immediately. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. They were out to... So then they did a bunch of stories on her and like tried like to uncover news. the yeah. whatever scandal. Something just that, wasn't right. Yeah, it was, it was kind of insane. But, but it turns out that he continued to be a dick for the rest of his life. And he outed another trans woman who played tennis... Yeah, and I don't know what her name is, but... I don't remember her name, but he just had a thing. And then he had a son whose name is Tucker and runs a huge, like, fucking show on Fox News yeah. where he's also a dick. Yeah. It runs, it runs in the family. So oh. I was doing some Googling because I was like, I want to... After you finish Lady in the Dale. I want to read something about... Dick Carlson. Don't worry. Dick he seems dickhead. like a very sad man at this point in his life. Yeah. Um, Don't worry. He seemed like a really s- just like Still miserable dick, person in his old. in the seventies when he was yeah. like at the height of his career, just like obsessed. But they just interview him with and he's her. Just like, <laughs> he's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still making transphobic comments. Yeah. He's just like a lizard that's lived too long. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. God. Like, yeah. Okay. I hated the part where he's like, well, they kept correcting me on the stand and told me oh, to I use know. her. And I and I would do it like once, but then I was like, I'm not no, going to do that. I don't that. Care. I don't believe Silly. that. God. Yeah. He okay. Was, Okay. We were getting really upset about that guy. Well, yes. We're still Tucker getting upset Carlson. about that guy. Let's, <laughs> let's let Alex make her point. Okay, so uh, my point is I happened upon an article that talked about Dick Carlson and how he was so afraid for his life that he thought that... Oh, yeah. Liz was going to come murder him. Oh, but there were my there were God. all those like hitman conspiracies going on. Yeah, though. yeah, and maybe. So I'm not. I saying, don't know. Oh yeah, right. Well, in the show, he was like, I always kept a gun in my and like a bulletproof yes, and had it always within, always loaded and ready to go. Open. Right, because I was afraid Liz was going to come in and try to kill me or so, someone. Like, yeah, bro, like. You're not that important. You're not that important. Yeah. So aside, she's trying to live her life. Aside from the like, you know, just blatant transphobia that this man had. Tucker Carlson grew up thinking that this trans woman was going to murder his father, and Ugh. like, so of course Tucker that like shapes his view of what being transgender means and like Ugh. like in a in a in bad a way. horrible way yeah so the part that i'm getting to is i read this it's in the same article i think um but they were really criticizing the lady in the dale show about how susan striker says something about how if Elizabeth would have been born like just a couple decades later that her whole life could have been different. 
And the person writing the article was like, so that implies that like the criminality is hand in hand with being transgender. Oh my God. That is absurd. And like that there's some sort of, I don't know. That is That's my so whole point. Icky. That is, is that so icky. They're like, okay, yeah, like the show is interesting and like the story is cool, but Susan made this point that unravels anyone's argument about how whatever. That is not an unraveling. That is this. That I don't like that. And it was on like a big trustworthy publication, and that's why I clicked on the story to right. read it. Is I was like, okay, so it wasn't like the New York times or anything, but it was, I don't know. It was really interesting. And I see from my perspective and I don't know, I don't know Liz. I don't know her life. And obviously she did some pretty wild things. Yes. But like with the whole Dale thing, it really did seem like it could have come together. Yes. It really did seem like she was being, like this was her chance. targeted. Like this was her chance to like get out of the mess that she had gotten into, and it it to me it felt like she's never been able to like authentically be herself. Of course, she's a troubled person. She's been through a lot. Of course, she fucking has. She has like ten children. Yeah, <laughs> like of course she. And like this seemed like her chance, and I feel like they just like pulled the rug right out from under. Well, her. as soon as they were like, Liz is a libertarian. I was like. All these pieces, all the puzzle pieces make sense. Of course, she didn't like get the right permits and put the she money wasn't in the specific any account. Dicks. And like, because that's the whole thing that they, spoiler, convicted her on is like, she didn't put this money into a specific escrow account from her customers, like to reserve a car. And instead, she was using that money to like pay her workers, which. I. That doesn't seem that, that absurd to me. Right. I, yeah, know that I know are there rules, are rules, but but libertarians don't like rules, and that makes sense to me. And like her flower business, how like people didn't have permits, and people like they were. She was just grabbing people that pretty needed, vulnerable people, but people that needed jobs needed, and they needed a place yeah. to live. So of course, like they're willing to accept this job of just like selling flowers, right? Um, and those are, that's like, you can tell when she started that flower business, it's like, that's what she had been looking for as an opportunity like that when she was on the run. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to provide this for other people. Like, it almost felt like this yes. is my way to give back. Like, for, for all those years I was running and looking for ways to make money and like support my family, I'm going to give that to someone else. Yeah. And I, you know, rules are rules, but. And and I'm not a libertarian, and they're whatever. Like I, but I understand. It made a lot of sense to me. We've yeah. gotten off track. No, I'm I I feel like this is a very. I'm very interested in this dialogue. I feel like it has. A, I mean, we I need like to do relevant. a whole episode on Lady. Yeah, Adele. it, it just reminded me of like the one sentence in this one article that I read where it was like. This thing that Susan Stryker said, like, it pulls the whole, like, it unravels you know. this whole. And I yeah, don't like agree it's a whole with Jenga that at tower. All. I don't of agree whatever. with that at no, all. No, I don't either. Because there's, 
there's so many different ways you can take the meaning of that sentence. Cause it's like her life could have been so much different in two decades because she wouldn't have to have like scammed a bunch of people. Right. Like, or like she wouldn't have had to do some of the things cause she would have had different opportunities just with the advancement of time. Well, and she yeah. wouldn't have like, been able to like run away from her first couple of marriages without a trace. Right. Yeah, that's true too. You know, like, right. and maybe she would have been able to realize that she was a transgender woman a long time yes. ago and saved yes. herself years and years of and trouble not even and trauma. been in any of those marriages. Cause she could have transitioned earlier. Yes. Yeah. So I don't feel like you can just automatically place that statement around her crimes. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. All right. So I'm really sorry to take us off track. No, no. I, I feel like that was very on track actually. Interesting. Thanks for sharing the story. Yeah. So I'm going to go move right along to some positive who news this week. And that is that the American Medical Association has officially recommended that the Department of Birth Certificate Issuing, whatever their it's health and vital, vital records statistics. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, vital records, yeah. Um stop a great record store name. <laughs> that would be a great record store name, honey. That's a great idea. But so the they've recommended that they stop putting sex, male or female, on birth certificates. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a really good, exciting starting place. It's probably going to go through millions of Republican legislation battles, and it's not. it doesn't really mean anything quite yet, but it's a step in the right direction, and it removes barriers for trans people that are wanting to amend their birth certificate. Well, they not even for trans people that want to amend their birth certificates. Like they, it would remove a barrier for so many things with like, you know, you have to present your birth certificate to get a job, to start a family, to adopt a child, to get married. Like there are so many things that your birth certificate creates a barrier for, and um, coming from a person who has gone through it all, it's a bitch to amend your birth certificate. It's really hard. So, so they're like, hey, it shouldn't be a bitch. Yeah, So, and if it wasn't even on your birth certificate, if it was just your name and the hospital you were born at and whatever, then like that barrier is just gone. Yeah. So. And kind of their whole point was like, it's not needed on this no. document. Well, because what do you need a birth certificate for? Gen- like that's affiliated with. Right. Like you, I'm, I assume that you need it to like get your kid enrolled in kindergarten or whatever. Yes. To get and a like, kid in school. If you need government assistance, I'm sure you need to like yes. present that type of. Or a passport. Passport. A marriage. Right. But like. 
I'm just starting at the beginning of a oh, baby's of a life, child's life, right? Yeah, yeah. And then like you have to fill out your W fours, so like it's a piece of identification when you're trying to get employment, mm-hmm. and then like to get married. To it's a very interesting thought. Though. Adopt like, a child. When does, yeah. gen- when does gender matter? Because there's nothing gender specific about right. any of those things. I don't things. think it ever matters. Right. And that's, that's, I mean, I think that's probably the point. Yeah, I think so too. I think you're right. Well, and I, um, I was listening to some podcast or read something and all it is is like the doctor just like looking at your newborn's body and deciding. Oh, that's a dick. Yeah, like. <laughs> And a lot of the times it's not very... More or less. Uh, More or less. It's like a little ambiguous. Cause yes. Because like, people's bodies don't look exactly the same. Yes. So, and you also can't tell like what's internal and, and that's, what's external. That's another important part of this, I think, because some, well, some of the... the criticism of this maybe I shouldn't call it criticism but just kind of like some of the conversation afterwards is like this is great this is a good step but really what we want the American Medical Association to do is to bar doctors from performing surgeries on intersex children before they're of consenting age like you might take off the wrong thing or fix the wrong thing and it, it causes yeah it causes yeah. them a lifetime of hardship so well and how do you like as a doctor or a parent how do you feel comfortable making that choice you haven't even met that person yet they're a baby and it doesn't mean that you can't say like here's your baby boy like it right. just means that you're not putting that on a piece of paper that's going to like haunt someone for the rest of their life, potentially. Right. If that baby boy isn't, isn't. really a boy. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, that's really interesting. And maybe d- doctors just consider it, like, to do these, like, newborn corrective surgeries. Like, let's spare parents, like, the... The trouble of, of having like, a weird kid. Yeah, of having a weird kid. And I'm sure some parents feel that way too. Like I just want to have a normal. I just want to have just, a normal baby and raise them to have right. a normal life. And so I'm just going to make this decision. And God, normal so overrated. Like why is that? S- Nobody's normal. No though. one's normal. Like yeah. why? I'm not going to go down that. I'm trying to think of like when you would ever need a gender marker on your birth certificate still. Never. You don't. Not now that like. Now that marriage. marriage, Yeah. I think that was probably a thing. The draft. The draft. That's the only thing that perhaps. I don't know. Do you want to know? But now they're opening up the draft to females, right? Like you can volunteer. I don't feel like I have. I don't know. The draft is bullshit anyway. But what about like prisons? Prisons are still gendered. Right. 
But we shouldn't be thinking about prisons the moment a baby is birthed. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. What prison is this child yes! potentially going like, to be incarcerated yeah. for yeah. the Lady in the Dale? Like, yeah, that was yeah, that was horrible. Up. She wanted to go to a women's prison, and they put her in a men's prison, and she got they beat the shit out beat of up. Her. There's another example. If Liz Carmichael would have been born 40 years later... It could have been Orange is the New Black, and she could have been in a woman's prison. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What character would she have been in Orange is the New Black, Lisa? That That's fucking crazy lady who, like... <laughs> crazy eyes. Yeah. Crazy. No, no, not crazy eyes. No, the the lady with the super stringy hair who, like, ha- wears Natasha the Catholic Leon? necklace. Oh, no. it is. Is it Natasha? No, no Natasha Leon's no. like, the... It's been so long since I've Yeah, it's I been a long know. time. I, I the like necklace. Yeah, she's like. And oh, like, the crazy Christian, like yeah, the, the crazy Baptist Christian lady. Yeah, <laughs> that's who. That's with who. Pen, wild teeth. Pencil yeah. Tucky. Yes. Pensatucky. Okay. Yes. You don't see Liz, Liz being Pensatucky. Liz is classy. <laughs> as fuck. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was just trying to think of like when you would ever need that. So last night, this is kind of funny. We went, we had dinner with my brother last night and we were just kind of talking about family dynamics and he was like, well, you know what? You're fucking lucky that you were born female at birth so you didn't have to deal with the pressure from mom and dad of going on a mission. (laughs) And I was like, damn, (laughs) that's heavy. Like, I, I guess... He's like, Cultural. you transitioned at the right time. <laughs> yeah. After you were 19. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's a decent Did point. Did your brother go on a mission? No, and he got a lot of shit uh, for it. Mm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's another story. Yeah. Another story, story for another day. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I have the boo this week. My boo is horrible. It's... um. There is a religious center at Virginia Tech University. Uh, It's called the Wesley Center, and it's an off-campus building. Um, And they have been hanging pride flags and having, like, pride-themed... Items outside of their building. They have a Black Lives Matter bench. Like, it just seems like a very progressive uh, organization. Yeah. And it's a religious organization, too. Like, welcoming all. Yes. Um, it's kind of what you wish the, uh, what do you call it in Utah? The Mormon Church? No. Oh. <laughs> Jesus. No. In high school, seminary, seminary. seminary. It's oh, kind of so what the you Mormon wish Church. Seminary oh, like institute is the college uh, version. Yes, mm-hmm. it's like in your wildest dreams. What seminary might seminary have been. was just like church squared. It was exactly the same as seminary but, was a free period for me to go smoke weed in the park. So what I'm saying is, it sounds like this is sort of sim similar where it's university affiliated but it's like a religious it's campus. thing off campus right. and all seminary they were off campus 
Yeah, they yeah. had like, to be. You had to cross mm-hmm. the street. That's yep. the separation of church and state. To get there. It's just a road. A road. So, so yes. Nice. Um, so this place is, again, called the Wesley Center, and they've displayed a pride flag for a couple of years. Um, and they said that they did this to make sure that their students felt safe and live out their faith and be affirmed in who they are. That's nice. Yeah, I think that's very nice. Um, Unfortunately, on Saturday morning, this last Saturday, which would have been the... 7th or 8th? The 7th of August. um, The flags were taken down by an unknown person, and they... Replace them with Confederate flags. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, Way to take away feelings of safety. Yeah. And also, like, not even just queer people and, like, LGBTQ community, but, like, people of color feel unsafe. And especially just even in the neighborhood walking by, that's... So was this see. like an act of vandalism or was this someone within the organization? It's an act of vandalism. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as far as I'm aware, nobody has been identified or caught yet that did Didn't this. Did it happen three times within like two weeks? I don't know if it was. No, like, it was just. I don't think it was replaced time. by a Confederate flag every time, but it was like. Torn down multiple times and then replaced with the Confederate flag. And I remember reading a story that they keep pride flags, like, in reserve. Yeah. Because of how often. To just replace it. Yeah. I mean, the story says this was the latest vandalism. Right. No, yes. So. Yes, but. I don't know. I thought there was, like, a run-up to this, like, Confederate flag thing. I'm not sure. I don't have that information. But. The police are investigating. Hopefully, somebody's caught. And and there's all these arguments about how the Confederate flag isn't inherently racist. Or hateful. Or inherently bigoted. Bullshit. Right. All right. Well, this has been Toasted Lavender Podcast. I would like to give a shout out to Casey who's been helping us out with some final mastering and we're very thankful for that. We've gotten some feedback in the past that in the car, some of our episodes weren't super loud. So Casey's helping us out. He's fixed that. Thank you, Casey. You can listen um, to it in the car. You yeah. can listen to it at the gym. You yeah. can listen to it in a plane. Full Headphones, of crying babies. Cell phone, <laughs> car, whatever. Um, music is by the lovely cop kid and our logo is by Debbie and thanks for joining us today we're here we're queer we're drinking beer oh yeah cheers we need another one yeah we do
So the Lady Undale is on Netflix. It is not. So let's start over. <laughs> so the Lady Undale is on HBO. Hello. 